And so if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can either click to, turn to with me, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And so I've entitled this message, Walls. And you'll understand the title of this message as we walk through this text. I have a long introduction, and then we're going to read the scripture. And then I'll give you four things of how to break down walls in your life and how to break down walls in in like, like relationships or even walls that we can erect between people or we can put up between God. And so Paul begins talking about this subject. And listen, let me tell you something. In the summer months, because of vacation, because I know a lot of people are in and out, Pastor David, our worship pastor, he's out on vacation right now. And so as a result of that, very seldom do I do a sermon series through the summer. And so what I do is, is I take verses that I had to cut out of some series. In other words, I came across a verse and I studied it and I unpacked a lot of information. And so the only way in my mind that I can cut it is say, you know what, one day I'll get to preach it. And so that's what I use summers for. And so this summer, I want to talk to you about it today. I want to talk about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 uh, through 18. It's five verses. And Paul begins talking to the, 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 the believers, the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, there in Ephesus, that church. He begins talking to, to them about this issue of walls in relationships and the danger of walls in relationship. Fact is, he doesn't look at these walls as kind of static. He looks at these walls pretty emotional. He calls them the dividing walls of hostility. And so Paul is dealing with an issue in his church, and he dealt with it in Rome. He's dealing with it in Ephesus. He dealt with it in Thessalonica and and, and, in some other places as well. But he's dealing with this issue as they bring Jewish Christians in and Gentile Christians in with different spiritual backgrounds, with, with different places when they came into the church. They're now one in Christ, and they start judging each other over personal preferences and some of those other things. And so the Jewish Christians in in this text, in this context, the Jewish Christians were were criticizing the Gentile Christians because the Gentile Christians didn't think they needed to follow the law. They They were free in Christ and they didn't believe they needed to follow the law. So they believed they could eat bacon, uh, they ham sandwiches and all those other things. They they wanted to worship on Sundays because that was the day of the resurrection. And so so the the Jewish Christians were criticizing them for that, for their personal beliefs and and for those beliefs. And then the Gentile Christians were criticizing the Jewish Christians because they wanted to keep the law. They wanted to continue to worship on, 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 on a certain day, and they, they wanted to continue uh, the law to where they didn't eat ham. And so all of a sudden you realize that you, 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 have, you have this conflict. And then each group, what Paul says, each group started building walls around each other. They started just building these walls. And, and so it's kind of interesting how, how we as humans, how we do that. The fact is, Friday... We, uh, we met our kids and grandkids up at 11 Mile Canyon. It was one of our daughters. It was her birthday. And so we had our kids there. We had our grandkids there. We hiked. We let the kids swim in the river because it's way too cold for adults. And so, uh, but you know what? Grandkids, they don't care, right? They do not care how cold it is. They can have blue lips. They can be shivering. And they're still trying to convince you that, you know what, they are, they are fine. They are fine. And so they swam in the river, and then we picnicked, and we hiked, and we did some things, and it was just a really great fun day. 
And so towards the end of the day, I noticed that there was like, there's like some pine trees and there are like these pine cones everywhere. And so I thought it would be fun. It was just, it was just, for me, it was just humorous. I found a pine cone that was like expanded and it was really soft. It was like a, it was like a Nerf ball. And so to one of my grandkids, I just lobbed it at him. One of my grandsons, I lobbed it at him and I hit him in the back to get his attention. And so he turned and looked at me, well, Unfortunately, his big brother thought, oh, little brother's fair game. So he all of a sudden said, this would be a fun game. And so he picks up a pine cone. He lobs it at his brother. His brother lobs it back at him. And so there's, there's pine cones flying back and forth. And here's what I learned about this. It is all fun and games till someone takes a pine cone to the face, right? And as soon as someone takes a pine cone to the face, it is on. And all of a sudden, now then, you're returning a pine cone, and, and you, you want a headshot. And you want to hurt them as much as they have hurt you. And see, the same thing is true in life. Sometimes it can be all fun and games. It can be all fun and games when we're lobbing comments or we're lobbing pine cones back to one another until all of a sudden someone takes one to the face. And this is what's happening in the church in Ephesus, that they were lobbing comments back and forth, Jews and Gentiles. And all of a sudden, they question each other's Christianity. They question whether they were going to heaven. They question whether they are a good Christian or a bad Christian. And all of a sudden, someone took the face. And then Paul uses this thing about this dividing wall of hostility. Listen, there are so many theologians that have endless discussions about what is the dividing wall of hostility. And so some will tell you, oh, that was the wall in the, in the, in the Jewish temple, in the temple that separated the Jewish court from the Gentiles and, and, or the Gentile court from the Jews. And so it was that wall. And, and most people believe that wasn't what it was. And then there's some theologians that say, you know, it was the curtain. It was a curtain that separated God from the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And then when Jesus Christ was crucified, the, the, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, bottom. Most theologians, most theologians, when they approach this text, they believe, you know what? It was an emotional wall. And it was a spiritual wall. And they were dividing because it's all fun and games. It's all fun and games until someone takes one to the face. It's all fun and games So someone crosses a line with a comment. And then all of a sudden, walls begin built to be built. And so we build a wall of, of separation. But Paul is trying to help us to understand that what we do horizontally affects our vertical relationship with him. And so it was interesting. But, you know, this last week, I, I was in a doctorate of ministry seminar up in, up in Denver. And, and by the way, I thought Pastor Eli just did. He just knocked the ball out of the park. I mean, I got to watch it online, and I was just, I am so proud of Pastor Eli and what God is doing in his life and how God is raising that young man up. And so I was cheering him on uh, just watching online with you guys, and so I thought he did a great job. But anyway, I'm in this class, and part of this class, we, we Zoomed, and I don't know if you've ever Zoomed or not or used like, 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 Zoom and so you can talk to people. And so we, we Zoom some professors in from California and one guy in Canada. And so they're like on, they're like on the big screen and we could have like a two-way conversation because Zoom. And so something that Zoom does, it's interesting to me, that if the internet connection gets unstable, all of a sudden, if you've Zoomed, you probably have seen this, all of a sudden there's a message that comes across that says your connection your internet connection is like unstable. Well, you can still kind of see the other person. They may blur, be blurry. Their voice may lag a little bit. Uh, it may, their voice may not match the movement of the lips and some of those other things. But you know what? You, you can like still see them. But it tells you, it tells you, your internet connection is unstable. 
Don't you wish we had an app like that for relationships? Don't you wish we had an app like that in a relationship to where once we lob that comment over, once we say that, that immediately alert comes on our phone and says, you know what, your relational connection is unstable. Your relational connection is unstable. And this is what Paul, this is, what Paul is talking about. He's talking about this issue. He's, talking about, he's just talking about the danger He's talking about the danger of, of walls, and he's talking about the danger of like stacking bricks in relationships. And, and, and many times we're, we're wounded. We're wounded by the walls that other people put up, and we're, we're, we're hurt by something that someone says, so we stack a brick. Or we're hurt by a situation, so we add another brick. We're hurt by a set of circumstances that we go, that we go through, so we stack another brick. We're hurt by, by people who are different than us or be people that, that make comments to us, and so we stack another brick. Uh, we're hurt. We, we stack another brick when we say, you know what? I'll never forgive that person. I'll never forget what they did to me. I, I will never forgive them. Or, or we, we, add it, we stack a brick and say, you know what? I, I, I will never be close to anyone because I'm not going to be hurt like that. Or we stack a brick when we have regrets in life and before long. Before long, if we're not careful, we're living life in isolation. We're living life and our relational connection to anyone is not very stable and it's not very strong because our connection is, is being, being hurt by the walls that we place up. And, and I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. If you've stacked bricks, if you've built a wall around you to protect yourself, walls take a lot of emotional energy. Walls, walls, walls take a lot of maintenance. I mean, you have, to, you have to build them, you have to maintain them, and then you have to protect them. And so we can create tension in our life when we build walls and we isolate ourselves off from other people because God has created, created us to live in community. God, is, God has designed us. fact is, the first thing that God said was not good is in Genesis. And it says it is not good for man to live alone. In other words, he's talking about this issue of loneliness. And a lot of times when we look at that text, we always relate it to marriage. But when you look at the text, you realize that he was talking about people. He was talking about, you know what? It is not good for anyone to live alone. It is not good for anyone to live in a relationship because God has wired us for connection. God has wired us for relationships, and so we have to trust him because, because he, he is sovereign, he is in control, and he has created everything. He, he created the world, he created the, the heavens, he created, he created, he created animals. And, and so I, I kind of think that like cats, <laughs> cats were probably the last thing that God created because he was just exhausted and tired and said, that will do, that will just do. And so if you're a cat person, I am so sorry. That is just a joke, uh, kind of. But, <laughs> but, but, if, but if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll come to that place and we'll, we'll believe that, you know what, loneliness is good. And so I'm just going I'm, I'm to put up these walls. And, and you see it in Adam and Eve's relationship. Remember Adam and Eve? He created Adam, and, and then he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve, and they're in this perfect place. They have this perfect relationship, and what do they do? They go through their first deal, right? And all of a sudden, they put up a wall. They put up a wall of blame. And they begin blaming each other for the problem that they're in. They begin blaming God. They begin blaming their situation, and then they hide from God, and they put up walls even between them and God. See, a lot of times we think that walls just between other, one another, it only affects that relationship, but, but the Scripture says it also affects our relationship with God. 
And God went through the garden and he went searching for them and they built a wall of like leaves to try to hide themselves from him. And he said, why are you hiding from me? And then Paul comes along and he talks about this issue that this dividing wall of hostility and walls are not good. In fact, is Simon Peter in 1 Peter writes these words and tells us that husbands, if you put up a wall between you and your spouse, that your prayers, your prayers are even hindered. And so we have to understand that the walls we put up between each other not only affects our relationship with them, it affects our relationship with God. And so we can build walls that hurt our relationship with others and hurt our relationship with him. So with all that, I know it's a long intro, but here's the text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. And you, you can count for yourself the number of times that he writes the word, says the word, peace. You, you, want, you realize this is, this is an overarching theme of these five verses. And here's what he says, verse 15. He says, for he, for he is our peace. We could probably just stop there and preach that one phrase. For he, for he is our peace. Who made both groups one and tore down, here we go, tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he may create in himself one new man from two, resulting in what? Resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to, to God in one body through the cross by which he put the, he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of what? Of peace. Peace to you who were far away in peace to those in peace to those who are near. For though we for, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So I just want to give you four things this morning just right out of this text. Four things that if we want to break down walls. If we want to break down walls in relationships, if we want to break down walls to God, then there's four things that we have to do. There's four things that we have to understand. The first thing is this. We have to remember Jesus alone is our peace. Jesus alone is our peace. And that just comes out of, out of the first phrase of verse 14. It says, for he alone, for he is our peace. Well, in the Greek, in the Greek text, that word he, it is the most specific, I mean, it's the most specific word that you can use for, for he. I mean, it's like singular. It is saying he alone, he plus nothing else. He alone, Jesus alone. So if you want to break down that dividing wall of hostility, if you want to break down that wall in your life, you have to come to the place I have to understand that he alone is our peace. And so I, I, I have a question for you, and don't answer this out loud, but, but where do you find your peace? I mean, if you were to fill in the blank, blank is my peace. Now listen, I know we're in church and I know in church, and you know this, right? If the preacher ever asks you a question, if you just say Jesus, you're going to be right like 99.9% .9 of the time. Doesn't matter what the question is, right? Jesus is the answer. And so when you're in church, we all know, just say Jesus. And you're like, you, you, you'll nail it. And so we all get that. We may know that mentally, but emotionally, where, or, or, or with your heart, blank is my peace. 
My job, or maybe a better way to help you understand this, when you lose that, or when you lose your peace, it's real easy to identify what it's tied to. So for you, if you were to answer that question, I find my peace in, blank is my peace. Is it in success? Is it in income? Is it in your health? Is it in your family? Your relationships around you? Your retirement account? A hobby, something like that, that when you don't have it, all of a sudden your peace is like unstable. Opinion of others, opinion of people, Whatever that is, listen, I, I believe when you look at Paul's writings, you realize that one of the ways that, that we mature is where we're coming to the place. And listen, for me, the older I get, the more that I understand that, guess what? He alone is my peace. Because nothing else is like on a firm foundation. Everything else can change. That's why Psalm 55.12 meant so much to me, or 55.22, I'm sorry. This says, you know what? He will sustain you. When you cast your cares on him, when you cast your burdens on him, you realize that he's the one that sustains you. And as a result of that, you will never, you will never be shaken. And so when you look at this text, Paul is trying to help them understand because here's what's happening. The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, they're, they're, they're not getting along. I mean, they're having, they're having a pine cone fight, right? They're not getting along, and they're trying to find their peace in what each other says about them. And if we're not careful, we can make everything, listen, we can make everything personal and put up walls. Romans chapter 14, many of you know that text well, but Paul was dealing with another issue in, in the church in Rome. It was a Jewish Christian and a Gentile Christians again. They're arguing over the th what I call the three days, the three Ds, diet, days, and drink. And so they're arguing over this issue because the Gentile Christians wanted to worship on Sunday. The Jewish Christians wanted to continue worship on Saturday because the Jews worshiped on Saturday. After the resurrection, Jesus, because of the resurrection, then they began to worship on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. That's why it was moved to Sunday. And then the Jews wanted to keep the law. They didn't want to eat ham and bacon and all that other stuff. And the Gentiles felt they had freedom to do that. And so there's this big war going on. And here's the fascinating thing in, in, in Ephesians and in Rome, in, in Romans. Paul never says who's right. Paul never says who's wrong. He never weighs in on it. You know what he does? He looks at the Jewish Christian, he looks at the Gentile Christians and says, you know what? Maybe love should be your guide. Especially this issue of personal preference. Maybe love should be your guide. And so when you show up at the church picnic, don't bring ham sandwiches anymore. Because it upsets the, Gen the Jewish Christians. So if that upsets them, then maybe, just maybe, that when you, come to the, when you come to the picnic, don't bring bacon and don't bring, you know, don't bring ham sandwich because it upsets the, the Jewish Christians. And then he turns to the Jewish Christians and he says, how about you guys? How about you guys let love be your guide? And quit telling the Gentile Christians that they're not as good of a Christian as you because they don't observe the law. Because they want to worship on Sunday and not Saturday and some of those other things. And Paul just kept saying, let love, in fact is Romans chapter 15 verse 17, here's what it says. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he starts talking about this issue that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And it comes from being filled by him. In Colossians, it says this in Colossians 3.15, And let the peace of Christ, 
to which you were also called in one body. So he ties those two together. He's reminding the Jewish Christians, he's reminding the Gentile Christians, guess what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're in the same family. We're one body. He said, let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And so Paul was coming down on this issue of community and, and focus on the things we have in common. Not to, focus, not to focus on the things we don't have in common. The second thing is this. Whenever we build walls, it creates division. That's why Paul referred to this as the dividing wall of hostility. He's trying to help them to understand that your connection, your relational connection, is like unstable. You may still live in the same household. You may still talk. You may still communicate. But at the core level, the deep level, your connection is unstable. Verse 14, he says, For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. In other words, all of us, he says, there's vertical walls and there's horizontal walls. Uh, Billy Graham writes this about that text, and I'll just quote. He says this. He says, When Christ died... The veil which separated man from God was ripped vertically from top to bottom, and the way was open for all men to have access to God. This is the vertical aspect of the gospel, but it is not the whole gospel. Paul says, he is our peace, who has made us both one, who has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. The horizontal separation of man was broken at the same time as the vertical. Jesus put no color bar on the golden rule, that we should treat each other as we want to be treated ourselves. And Paul was talking about this issue that if we're not careful, we'll build walls that even generates more hostility. It's so interesting about these issue of walls. We believe these walls will protect us you know, I just tell you this, you can build a wall of isolation and it can protect you. It can protect you, maybe some from bad things, but it can also protect you for some good things. And it can protect you and keep you from having deep relationships. And there is a false belief from what Paul says that, that whenever we put up walls, it doesn't affect our relationship with God. And when we put up walls between one another, it not only hurts our relationship with each other, but it hurts our relationship with God. And Paul is trying to help them to understand, guess what? We're, we're members of one body, and we belong together. When you hurt, I hurt. When you cry, I cry. When you mourn, I mourn. When you celebrate, I should celebrate. When, when you have a burden, I should be willing to bear that burden with you. Here's, here's the third thing. Jesus came to make peace by breaking down walls. Jesus came to make peace by breaking down walls. Verse 15, the, the, the scripture says, he, he, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he may create himself one new man from two, resulting in peace. And some people will say, you know what? Well, you know what you do? You build a bridge. You, you build a bridge to that individual, but, but you're building a bridge over something that divides you. And what Jesus says, no, you've you got to come to the place where you demolish the walls, that you understand that those walls are what separates. Verse 16, it says this, he did this so he might reconcile both to God in one body through the Christ, cross by which he put hostility to death. He uses this word reconcile. It's like the deepest form of reconciliation, um, to reconcile means is the restoration of a relationship, peace between two people which has been disturbed. It only, it only takes one person to destroy a relationship. It takes two. 
to rebuild a relationship. It takes two to reconcile. This is why Paul talked to the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers at the same thing, at the same time. And when you look at the gospel, you realize that Jesus talked about this over and over, about the dividing wall of hostility or, or how to love one another. And in, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he says, he said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And this is the greatest and the most important command. And then Jesus didn't stop there. Verse 39, he says this, and he says the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus was trying to help them to understand loving people is to love God. And loving well is to love God well. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that if you come to the place that you love, that you love one another. The fourth and last way that we break down walls is this, is Jesus didn't come to take sides, but he came to take over. Jesus didn't come to take sides, but he came to take over. Look at this, verse 17. He said, the scripture says, He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And so Jesus, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Paul never took sides. It's so fascinating to me. I mean, this, is, this is all through scripture. Remember, remember in... Just real quickly, this is for free. Joshua chapter 5. Remember when, remember, remember when, when God led Joshua. It was Joshua, right? To go in and take Jericho, right? The Jericho, yes. All of a sudden, it was like too many words with J. And I'm like, did I get this right or not? And so anyway, anyway, this is for memory. So here we go, because I really want you to understand this point. We'll get back. In Joshua chapter 5. Uh, God leads Joshua to go take Jericho. Now listen, if you study Jericho, you realize nobody believed that, Joshua, uh, that Jericho could be destroyed. It was one of those cities that was just seen as there is no way you could take Jericho. It could be destroyed. It was, I mean, it was strong, and the walls were strong. And so God is leading Joshua. Joshua has all these, these people. He's, he's fought, he, they're, they're leading. He doesn't know how this is going to happen. He gets into Jericho. He gets close to Jericho, and all of a sudden, sudden, in, in, in midway through Joshua chapter 5, Joshua looks up, and in the scripture says he, see, he sees the commander of the Lord's army. He sees the commander of the Lord's army. He is high, which was like the angel of the Lord, which represented God. And so Joshua looks up at him, and he says, hey, are you for us? Are you against us? And all of a sudden, I think it shocked Joshua. The commander of the Lord's army looked at him and said, neither. Neither. Sometimes isn't it true, and this is why so many times there's so much emotion with this dividing wall of hostility, or there's so much emotion when someone takes one to the face because all of a sudden we believe God is for me, he's against them. I noticed that with my grandkids. Like when they were having the pine cone war, 
All of a sudden, they're trying to get their brothers and sisters, like on their side, to join them in, in the fight and before mom and dad step in. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we're like that. Sometimes it's like that old Western movies, right? I grew up on spaghetti Westerns, and I grew up on Western movies where you had the good guys always wore the white hats and the bad guys always wore the, the black hats. And it was always against the guys with the white hats and the guys with the black hats and the guys with the white hats always won. That's how it went down in those movies. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we're that same way. That all of a sudden, we believe that, guess what? We are the good hat guys. God is for us, and he's against them. This is what Paul has taught. Paul never said who was right or wrong. And so with Joshua, Joshua asked the commander of the Lord's army, are you for us or against us? And he says, neither. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. You're to trust me. And the scripture says that Joshua asked him for advice and bowed down and worshiped him because he believed he was on holy ground. When you look at this text, you realize what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about understanding that God is sovereign and that God is in control. And that you can trust him. And you don't have to build walls because guess what? When he is your peace, and you know that's a firm foundation, then all of a sudden you can trust him. That's why Simon Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Paul, Simon Peter is telling them that don't work so hard on these walls. Just bow down and worship him. He cares for you. And so I have a closing illustration, and we'll close. Listen, I'm from Texas and I should know a lot about horses. I know nothing about horses. Fact is, every experience I've ever had on a horse did not end well. I mean, you know, we would do, you know, we're the vacationers, we're the Texans coming to Colorado, and when we would go up in the mountains, what would we do? We would do one of those trail rides, right? And where they take you up, and, and you know what? I always got the, I, I always, they always, you can ask my family. I would, always, I would always draw the short straw, and I would always get that horse, and they would always tell me, hey, we're so sorry. This horse has an attitude. This horse is really angry, you know, whatever, but, but we know you can, you can do this. You can do this, and I have, been, I, I have been bucked. I have been kicked. I have had a horse. I don't know what, what was going on, but they said it was my cadence. I didn't but Anyway, and this horse was, to, was, was continually trying to rake me off, like going up against trees and get me off of his back. I've had that happen. But I was talking to one of these guys one time, and I said, because I've noticed it's always been confusing to me that you see some horses, especially racehorses, right? But you'll see some horses when they're training them or they're racing or whatever, that all of a sudden they'll have, they're wearing blinders. And so out of a joke, I asked one of the Wranglers, hey, what did that horse do wrong? I mean, why does that horse have to wear, wear blinders? And so those of you that are horse people, you can correct me if this is wrong later, but it works for this illustration. <laughs> and so the Wrangler told me, says, oh, you know, that horse, easily distracted. That horse easily distracted, and so we put blinders on that horse so that blind that horse isn't easily distracted, and it'll do what it's supposed to do. It'll function like it's supposed to, and it's supposed to stay focused. This is, this is Paul's point. This was Jesus' point. 
when we put dividing walls between us, worried about what they're saying, worried about what they're doing, worried about what they're talking about, we get distracted. And it keeps us from staying focused on what he has for us so that his peace will rule our hearts. Jesus reminded Simon Peter of this in John chapter 21. Jesus was, was reinstated Simon Peter. They're walking together, and he says, hey, hey, Simon, one day. He's talking about the martyr's death that he's going to have. He says, one day somebody's going to stretch out your arms, and they're going to walk you in a direction that you do not want to go. And Simon understood what that meant. He was going to die a martyr's death. That he's going to be crucified. In fact, is legend tells us that Simon Peter was crucified upside down because that's what he wanted. He didn't want to be crucified like his Lord because he said he wasn't worthy. And so, uh, and so Simon Peter understood what it meant. And John was working, walking behind them. And, and Simon Peter turns around and looks at John and says, well, well, what about him? What about him? And Jesus didn't make it better. He made it worse, which he did a lot. And he said, Simon, if I want John to remain until I come again, what's that to you? As for you, you follow me. As for you, you put the blinders on and you follow me. <clears throat> Excuse me, so many times we get distracted. Why does it seem like they don't have any problems? Why does it seem like they get all the breaks? Why does it seem like their relationships are stronger than my relationships? Why does it seem like life is easier for them than it is for me? And if we're not careful, that's when we start putting up walls. And he says, as for you, you follow me. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?